This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. <laughs> Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Mordhog Manly Command Center Man Cave. A little bit of a congested feeling here today. The last couple of days, something's been going around our area here in the piney woods of north central Florida, God's country. Uh, we're in the Warthog Manly Command Center inside the Mellon Law Studio. Mellon Law, with 50 years of experience, is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Mellon Law won't back down. And of course, we're protected by crime prevention. You worry less with crime with crime prevention. CPSS.NOT and of course, um, Dead, I'm sorry. And of course, Maurice T. McDaniel sponsoring our mugshots. Now, I just got to bring you up to date a little bit on uh, where we were the last couple of days. Uh, I was kind of under the weather and uh, we felt like it would be a good appropriate time to um, recognize the sadness and the tragedy of um, the un- unbelievable, unforgivable situation with the elementary school children. So we did that yesterday, and um, and um, you know I'd have no problem doing that. I think if that helps in any way, shape, or form, uh, have us um, be a more. What I hope would have to come out of this would be some meaningful, uh, not just blaming guns because that's obviously not the situation. Um, you know, like blaming cars. It's not the car; it's the driver. It's very simple to understand those sort of things. But we'll cover that uh, at the appropriate time and a little more. Um, depth. Uh, today, I'm going to be with you live here the first uh, half hour and the second half an hour. We're going to go back over history and uh, show you uh, really when something began here that I'm going to be attending a court meeting on today. It's been going on for over a year. So in the second half of the show, I'll be actually in the court meeting and you'll be uh, watching the build up to what led to today. So that's the plan for the sections we're doing now. I want to say hello to everybody. And um, um, at some point, Ken Hillier, you're, you're going to bring me up to date on what's going on in Georgia. I've been following it out of one corner of my eye here. And so at some point, we'll talk about that. Uh, right now, I want to talk about some interesting things that are happening locally because we don't cover local in the depth that we cover it. Nobody else much does. And I want to talk about the regional transit system from a different point of view right now. Of course, we've talked about it from taking down Corrine Brown's name on the side of the regional transit system. And we've talked about all the bad uh, signals that sends uh, the, the um, you know, crime pays and, and everybody wants to make an excuse. Oh, well, oh, well, um, we, we, uh, we understand that uh, she did this, but she got us so much money. It's like Robin Hood. I mean, they really view her as Robin Hood. And I guess, you know, Robin Hood had a place in mythological lore. He was a guy who robbed from the rich to give to the poor. And I suppose that's the way this um, uh, city commission sees things. But meanwhile, uh, apart from just that name deal, I want to tell you some other things that are going going on in in the regional transit system, which is not really a regional transit system, you understand. Uh, Regional, once again, the magic's in the definition of the language. What does regional really mean? Uh, regional, we found out here in, in the city of Alachua, doesn't mean you're going to run a regional transit system bus to Alachua. And even once upon a time, the students at Santa Fe couldn't get a bus because the bus that the, went to the University of Florida was paid for uh, by University of Florida student fees. And the uh, powers that be in the community college system and, um, didn't believe that they should be using student fees for buses because the community college system, which was set up by one of my professors, Dr. Wattenbarger, who uh, set up the the whole uh, plan for the community college system called junior colleges then in the state of Florida. It was his thesis, and it became actually the working 
implemented model for our system. And the theory was that uh, every student within 25 miles uh, ought to be able to attend a, a, a school of higher learning, like a junior college, then community college. And the reasoning was they would get there by car. So uh, they, the whole emphasis on community colleges and junior colleges they were then were, were on getting there by car. So the politicians couldn't get their head wrapped around the need for a bus fee. And indeed, you know, we're basically just talking about Gainesville. We weren't talking about Lake City. We weren't talking about um, some of the other communities that have community colleges. Um, you know, so they went on deaf ears. And we kept trying and trying and trying to get the legislative world to understand that, well, this is the thing that's coming. And so finally, we got the bus out there to Santa Fe, but it's subsidized by student fees. Student fees are basically what pays for the regional transit system. At one time, I knew the exact dollar number. And without it, the whole thing would flop. It wouldn't work at all. You can't get enough ridership money to, to pay for the drivers and the buses and all the above. So you've got to have somebody who's a captured audience pay. And the bigger captured, biggest captured audience, of course, is the, uh, is the student base. And there's some stories about the student base. We would not have seven uh, city commissioners in Gainesville if we were not for regional transit. I've told the story a couple of times. I'll tell it again. Uh, several years ago, I don't know, I've lost count now, 10, 20, 30 years, I don't know what it was, 10, 15 years ago, uh, the southwest corner of, of Archer Road and 34th is apartment complex is filled with city with students who couldn't get a bus to the university uh, because um, they were not in the city of Gainesville. Now, remember, it was supposed to be a regional transit system, but it's not really a regional transit system. It's, it's run by the city of Gainesville commissioners. Isn't that pitiful? Isn't that really pitiful? Even though there's something called the Metropolitan Training, uh, Transportation Planning Organization, it is, has no power whatsoever. Um, so, so you have here um, the, the regional transit system run by the five commissioners at that time, but in the charter, and I think this was placed in there in the era of Tom McNew and, and um, uh, a couple of the others that around that time, Jimmy Painter perhaps, um, you know, a couple, a couple of times when we were on the five-member board back then. Uh, they, they had in the charter that should the city ever reach a certain numerical threshold, I think the threshold was 100,000, it would trigger the charter to add two commissioners. The thinking was those two commissioners would, of course, be needed for the additional population, which is a flawed thinking anyway. Um, there was a young lady down in that southwest corner who couldn't get bus transportation, so she uh, wound up being an organizer, a political activist, and she got the people in that neighborhood, the students, to sign a petition to take this city uh, to get the city to annex a southwest corner uh, of, of, of um, Archer Road into the city and out of the county. And since it's contiguous to the city, that's the way it triggered it. And she got, and there's about three or 400 kids. They signed enough numbers, about three or 400 if I remember, maybe a little few more, and took the petition and, and the city commissioner in those days listened to it. And um, uh, Mark Goldstein was in there. So along came, the, the, they annexed it. And then when he did, it triggered into seven, uh, seven city commissioners. What a nightmare. So the need for the bus was what triggered the mess we're in now, if you want to look at it that way, with seven dysfunctional commissioners running the city and also running GRU and also running a quote unquote regional transit system, which is not a regional transit system. It's a city transport. Uh, has one county gets in there with a county pays for is involved with Route 75, which is Tower Road. Uh, but, it, you know, and, and, and Lee Pinkinson, Weathervane Lee knew all the story on that. I think he was instrumental in getting the county to, to pitch in some money for that route. But here we are today. And this is the real problem. Put aside for a moment whether they'll take Corrine Brown, Robin Hood's name. Uh, I guess it would. What is Robinette? I guess is the female version of Robin. <laughs> or maybe Robin doubles as a female too. Uh, so let's, I know, I know a Robin as a female. So let's say uh, Robin Brown, Robin Corrine Brown, 
uh, stays up there for a while, there are really some issues at regional transit system that you ought to be aware of that are paradoxical. Now, we have to, first of all, start with the concept and the reality that, and you would concur with this, that the current fever for building is to build up, not out, and to cram into every available nook and cranny. Excuse me while I make sure I don't cough. Uh, to cram into every nook and cranny as many eggs in the carton as they can get them and stack the cartons as high as they can get them, six, seven stories, and cram affordable housing in there and all this, that one another. And as you do that, really, what you do is you, none of these people is going to have a car because there's no place much to park a car. Uh, you think these high-rise things at the corner of 13th and University, well, they, they, they don't have a place to park a car. Maybe they have a little token garage underneath. But then you're not talking about uh, vehicle transportation because they can't take those cars to the University of Florida campus anyway. So you're going to see all this is going to be diminishing the ability to use an automobile, be it electric or fossil internal combustion, to get anywhere. Okay, you want to be dependent upon the bus. And so here we are, we're building more of those places. Are we not? Everywhere you look, you see them building more and more egg cartons for people to live in. And the whole idea is, well, we'll just cram it into the city and we'll stop urban sprawl that way. And they'll have to get around <clears throat> by public transportation. <clears throat> the problem with public transportation, and this was discussed yesterday at the Regional Transit System uh, Advisory Committee meeting. Uh, the Regional Transit System Advisory Committee meeting, I have the composition here. Uh, it, it's made up of students. I don't want to get into the details of that. Um, but they they have um, students on it. They have a handicapped fellow as a chair who's in a chair. Um, they have some citizens. Um, and it is um, really it is a, a very diverse and inclusive committee, which un, un, uh, incredibly goes unlistened to uh, by the, the, the city commission whenever they ask for a name change. Now, they discussed the name change yesterday. And the name change, uh, they decided to table until uh, the new uh, commission is elected and see if they can get anywhere with them. Because um, they they've been asking for the name to be changed since 2020, and the city commission would not even respond. <coughs> the, chair, the chair wrote a letter to Harvey Ward, which is a mistake. You don't write a letter to an individual commissioner. Harvey Ward's not the stinking uh, mayor, even though he wants to be. Uh, you write it to the, uh, really, uh, you could write it to the uh, city manager, and the city manager could distribute to everybody, which is probably the way it could go, or to the mayor and copy the city manager. And whoever that might be during musical chairs. And then, um, uh, the but the chair wrote a letter to Ward, and Ward replied to the chair of the regional transit system, no, we're not going to change the name. Um, ironically, the dais that, on which Ward sits, along with How Low Can You Go, Bowtie Poe, uh, the boy named Lauren and that crowd, does not easily accommodate uh, wheelchairs. Have you ever thought about that? Never thought about that. Now, so this is just sort of emblematic of the issues that you have with this uh, Looney Tunes bunch that runs the city. Meanwhile, here's the real truth of the matter. Now, let's take the left hand because, you know, the left hand never knows what the right hand's doing in government. So the left hand is saying uh, we want more people using regional transit. Are they not? How are they saying it? They're saying it by okaying these egg carton uh, housing complexes that uh, diminish the ability to use automobiles and increases the reliance upon public transit. However, at this moment, as we speak, the regional transit system uh, needs 55 more drivers, okay? 55 more drivers. Now, 55 more drivers, and you start out at $16 an hour with no experience. The only caveat is you can't have um, smoke to joint or anything like that because the federal government uh, governs that, and they will not give you uh, the license if you test a weed in your system. So that may, I don't know, diminish some of the applicants. But anyway, um, they have a woefully uh, uh, small 
a number of people applying for these jobs. They have 55 more drivers needed. There's a pamphlet I have here, which is an advocate for uh, applying to be hired. And already the pamphlet is out of date. Uh, it's not up to date. It's not up to snuff. And here's why it's not up to snuff. Um, and I don't know, you're probably going to hear that, this information here for the first time. Uh, I think you'll hear it here and probably nowhere else. The Oaks Mall has a vast parking area behind it. Uh, that is to the south of it and uh, south of Dillard's and all down in there. And that has been a cu uh, customarily used for several reasons. It's a staging area for people to get on buses, to travel out of town, to games, things of this nature. <coughs> and the, uh, also it is a, uh, it is a uh, place where um, uh, the riders can change routes and buses change routes. And um, uh, it's a transfer station. And um, four or five buses could congregate there. A schedule coordination could go on. And um, some people had some covered areas while they waited for these buses to transfer and they get on. Some of them, you have to ride several buses to get where you're going. Well, guess what's going to happen to that area? Now, that, that area has been sold, okay? That has been sold, that area back there. And guess what it's going to become? I mean, you, you, you sit there and see if you can guess. You guys are just as bright as anybody else in the world, right? Uh, what is going to happen uh, to that area? Can you take two guess, three guesses at first? You don't count. Uh, can you imagine? Well, what's going to happen, of course, is it is going to become a, um, a um, high-rise mixed-use, mixed-use, which means you'll have the homeless and the hungry in there with the well-to-do. I mean, it's the whole thing now you know, for diversity and inclusion, you'll have mixed use. And you'll have um, um, you know, high-rise mixed APTs, apartments back there. Now, here we go. It's back to the incompetence in my book, anyway, of the city commission. Okay, you've got 55 drivers that are needed. That's just for starters. Uh, you don't give a damn what your advisory committee says. You're all bent out of shape because Corrine Brown got you money. Well, I've got news for you. Corrine Brown ain't getting you any more money. And you need more money than ever because you got 55 drivers are needed. They won't even sign up at $16 an hour with no experience. <laughs> and you're, you're diminishing uh, people's ability to use the automobile to get anywhere and you're pushing them towards a quote-unquote regional transit system and there ain't no regional transit system to speak of. Now we're not even talking about East Gainesville. Uh, East Gainesville is, you know, they, they don't, they, you know, no buses. Once upon a time, I don't think, when I was really looking into it heavily, <coughs> the buses ran on the east side of town after dark. So, um, you know, it's just one of those deals where uh, you, you see, you, you hear a lot of stuff that doesn't mean anything. I mean, if, if Harvey uh, uh, Banana Pudding Ward, the thug, would spend as much time really thinking deeply, and for him it wouldn't be very deep, uh, about real complexity of the issues, uh, it doesn't seem that this commission can understand how complicated and intertwined all these issues really are. Uh, you, you can't push, it's like rolling out dough and trying to roll a, 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 a hump out of the dough. And when you roll that hump out, you make another one somewhere else in the dough. So you go back and roll that hump out and that makes another hump somewhere else. So you're always rolling humps out, but as you're rolling the humps out of the dough, you're creating more humps. So <clears throat> this is where we are with RTS. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful picture? Um, the other thing I want to re report to you before uh, I go to court here is uh, the interesting thing about uh, now we know that in the circuit court of the 8th Judicial Circuit, we're going to have the state of Florida uh, versus the hapless souls at the state of Florida signed up to vote. And the interesting thing about this is the state's witnesses are none other than Kim and Barton. Oh my golly, pray tell, really? And also on this is T.J. Pichet, the second, 
the director of outreach. Um, these people are witnesses for the state. And the state is prosecuting that which the state signed up. I mean, well, I would use the word entrapment, but they don't use that word. They don't see it that way. I mean, come on. I just want to, I just want to tell you this is coming. This is coming. The witnesses are none other than Kim and Martin Wooten, uh, the whole name. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Lawrence Certain, who ran the jail then, who's Tina Certain's husband. Um, it's all incestuous. You got all these people who are witnesses for the state against the people that the state signed up. I, I just, you know, one of two things is going to happen. We predicted here on the Ward Scott Files, you hear it first here. One of two things is going to happen. All right. They're going to find them guilty of perjury and send them off to the jug for something they were entrapped to do or led to believe they could do or not told they couldn't do. Uh, you take your pick uh, by the supervisor of elections and their staff. Even after the staff knew that uh, they people they were signing up had to have paid their restitution. OK, so either they're going to do that or they're going to drop the cases. Now, either I don't think they can drop the cases and get away with it. I mean, not, I mean it depends on community pressure. Now, I realize in the Ward Scott Files, we operate a, at a depth um, that the general public doesn't. The general public is very naive, very, uh, very misinformed. Uh, really, it, it's incredible what you'll hear come out of the mouths of people you think really knew what they were talking about which don't have the, the smallest clue what they're talking about. And so this is coming down the road and this document was just filed. Uh, uh, it was filed, today is the 26th. It was filed yesterday at 11.07 a.m. So you're getting this first. Nobody else has gotten this. And it says that the uh, state of Florida through the undersigned assistant state attorney pursuant to the defendant's notice of discovery, submits the following supplemental information. So there you go. And we haven't been able to see because the redacted stuff on the Miranda rights of the victims of this, um, what really T.J. Pichet and those people told these people. And, uh, you know, there were a lot more than just these 10. They wandered around in there. I've forgotten how many totally signed up. Uh, but um, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, I'm just going to look at the other stuff here with you. Yeah, there's old TJ Pichet II, who's already taken the fifth. Imagine, I don't I guess you can do it. Take, a, take the fifth to keep yourself from being asked questions, but still testify against the guys you signed up. Does that make any sense to any of y'all? I, I don't know. I'm looking over at Facebook chat a little bit to see if anybody, is anybody with me or are you? Uh, have your eyes glazed over or uh, do you not understand what this you know, this is your criminal justice system and you don't, you don't understand any of this I mean I mean really but anyway there you are and it is a it is a story that is percolating as is the story I'm getting ready to bow out here on and prepare to uh, to listen to and report back to you on uh, tomorrow so We've got a very interesting show. We're going to run the second half of the hour. Uh, we've researched when the beginning of um, the, when we first talked on the Ward Scott Files about the Drotos Riles versus Bossart case. And to our amazement, uh, we discovered it was about a year ago. Is that right, production? Production. August 9th of last year, we first talked about Drotos Riles versus Bossart on the Ward Scott Files. Now, uh, in a little bit, the judge is going to take up the issue that uh, whether or not one of the things, um, several other things, too, uh, whether or not uh, I, I can be kicked out of these meetings. So or somebody like me can be kicked out. It must take me out of it, although I'm the one. It, it might be a precedent. It might be precedence. I don't know. But uh, we're going to find out. So I'm going to wish you uh, well. You're going to have a very interesting second half of the show. 
if you really want to be informed, you know what's going on and you want to be on top of the things, you need to listen to the second half because it's going to dovetail in. If everything goes as we think it will go, uh, I'll supplement this with a discussion tomorrow. So production is going to break now and uh, thank people. And uh, I'll, I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Word Scott Files. Uh, we'll be right back. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, on the spot dry cleaners, RR construction, and style cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352 284 3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help. The Warthog Man Cave in the Melbourne Law Studio, 352-325-3938, and of course, Facebook chat, I'm watching. And uh, we're here uh, discussing uh, now a local incident that uh, has all sorts of mystery in it, uh, and it's known as the Drotos, Drotus, Drotus versus Balsart lawsuit, just to refresh you, uh, this is the one that the SWAT team uh, came out to deal with, uh, uh, you know, all the above. So uh, it's not going to weigh anytime soon. Uh, there's a lot of investigation going on right now. Uh, some of it I can't talk about. Uh, that has to do with uh, really doing some digging into the motivations of some of the players involved in this. Uh, not, not, not Rodas and Riles, but the cops. Uh, and how that went down. And I've been given a, a, a set of questions here. And these questions I'm going to share with you. And I, I'm not going to tell you where I got them. And I'm not going to tell you uh, the answers because I don't have the answers. But there are questions that were supplied to me by somebody who thought uh, I could ask a larger audience if they had any answers to them. And uh, so I will proceed through these. And uh, stop from time to time, maybe to help you understand them. And you can put up your speculative answer or your knowledgeable answer on the screen, or you can email me or any other way you want to contact me. The first question that's on the list that I received is uh, the state attorney, Bill Cervone, he knew about this criminal complaint for over six months, and he left it open until he retired. And he left it on the desk of Brian Kramer, his, success, his successor. And the question is, why did Cervone uh, leave this for Kramer? Now, if you go back and look at Cervone, he has avoided political issues as a state attorney ever since he's been a state attorney. He won't get into them. He just, he just thinks that that's a whole uh, another world and... Uh, you know, he's not going to go pursuing criminal activity. On the other hand, Kramer uh, takes the bait and gets in and starts 
um, looking around for criminal activity, I guess. So I don't have the answer to this, why he sat on it, Bill Cervone, for six months, except that he never wanted to be involved as a state attorney in any kind of political shenanigans. But the other question then is, why did Kramer, once he got this, move forward with a search warrant and SWAT team action? I mean, you know, everyone in law enforcement knows that's a little heavy handed. So is it just a coincidence that this occurred immediately after the arbitrator in the civil suit ruled against Bots Hart's motion to delay the suit? by having Adrotos and Riles attorneys removed from the case. See, this thing was a civil suit for a long time. It doesn't become a, a criminal suit until Kramer gets a hold of it. I don't have an answer. Now, the state attorney, Brian Kramer, and the judge, David Kreider, who signed the search warrant, and the Gainesville police detective, Ronald Pinkston, officer in charge of this case. We've done a lot of research and he's a piece of work. I mean, he's worked at all these places. Pinkston has worked state attorney's office. He's worked at the sheriff's office and he works now at the Gainesville police department and he lives in Alachua. So there's, there's a lot of stuff here. That's very interesting about that character. They all, he, he worked with all these people. So you would think there were relationships that existed among him and these individuals. Um, Ken Cornell is a senior vice president at Boss Hart Realty. And his name comes up in this. Uh, and I can, I, I, I can tell you why. Uh, he, 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 there is a, Curiosity out there about Cornell's role in all this. Apparently, supposedly, allegedly, uh, he communicated to a city of Gainesville commissioner that something big was going to go down against Colliers two weeks before the SWAT raid. Now, how could he have known this? How could he have known this? Two weeks before the SWAT raid. Um. Obviously, Pinkston, when we look at it, and we covered this the other day on the show, prepared a search warrant justification that was filled with errors and, om and omissions. Timelines were different. What, what, what kind of professional does that? What kind of professional does that? And why... why why did Boss Hart wait in excess of 16 months to file a criminal complaint? Why did he never bring up the trade secret complaint prior to the date as part of the ongoing civil suit? Why didn't he bring up the trade secret complaint as part of the civil suit? That doesn't that does pass a smell test. I don't see any answers over in Facebook chat. I just see y'all sitting around, I guess, listed. I don't have any answers. But I'll send them out there and maybe you can come up with some answers. Why in the first place was the SWAT team called out for this raid? When the Gainesville Police Department's matrix criteria for using the SWAT team was not met. I have taken the SWAT team matrix and taken it to independent people and asked them to fill it. Nobody has been able to push the numbering system they have up to, to the place where it justifies bringing the cavalry to the Collier's International Office. How many times, other times, has this SWAT team Conducted a raid. Uh, this could, you, you could find this out, I'm sure. How many other times has the SWAT team conducted a raid to execute a search warrant for an alleged third-degree white-collar crime 
against upstanding business leaders with no criminal record and no history of violence. Huh? Anybody got an answer? Now, the cops claim that they were told that people in the Collier's office were armed. That's one thing. Armed and dangerous. So the question comes back again, is it normal for the Gainesville Police Department to call out the SWAT team based on a tip from a currently unidentified source without checking the background of the subject of the raid to determine if that tip was bogus? I can sort of answer that because I'm on the board of uh, Crime Stoppers. I don't know that... uh, when uh, a cop on the street gets a tip about where a criminal is hiding, that uh, he checks the background of the person who gave him the tip. I, I have never heard that in the presentation that we get as a board. Now, on the other hand, quite often, the relationship of the tipper to the criminal who's been tipped on by the tipper is pretty well known. Often it'll be a girlfriend tipping off a bad boyfriend or it'll be a neighbor tipping off whatever. Quite often there is an obvious relationship between the tipper and the object of the tip. But I don't recall that anybody necessarily on the street, a cop on the beat who gets a tip, uh, doesn't, uh, what they usually do is they'll go stake out that place. And uh, apparently this guy Pinkston has been following Mike Riles. That's one of the questions that I've got here. Why is uh, Pinkston following Mike Riles? And uh, this is days after the raid. Uh, When he was asked about why he was following him, Riles, the quote I have here in the questions is that he was looking for his wife's place of business. Pretty lame. Even I can even I can come up with something better than that. There's some other weird things about Pinkston. He has Aaron Bosshart listed as a friend on social media. But he's made a point of saying that in real life, they're not friends. They're only acquaintances. Huh? I'm looking over here. I don't see any replies. Here's a question. Is um, Why were the computers and the cell phones of only three of the five people named in the warrant confiscated? The cops to this day have not confiscated the computers and cell phones from the other two people who were not at the office at the time of the raid. The question is, would normal police practice be to fully execute a search warrant? And why, if the warrant was truly justified, was it limited to the local Collier's office and only to those that happened to be there at the time of the raid? And why did the commander of the SWAT team agree to the request to, the request to use the SWAT team in the first place? Can't find a matrix. Pinkston, I, from my point of view, Pinkston's already a dubious character in all this. Why was the Collier's staff 
handcuffed and made to stand at the street on public display instead of being confined to a conference room during the search. Huh? There was a 23-year-old lady, female, who's a junior member of the Collier's team. It's my understanding, and these questions that I have here make this question, was taken to the state attorney's office. I don't know if you've ever been there. You can't get in the stupid thing unless you've got a pass and a pass and a pass. And once you're in, you can't, you, you dang sure can't get out. And it's full of cameras and tape recorders. And, you know, you can't trust a single thing in there. So why was a 23-year-old, I guarantee you that 23-year-old doesn't have any experience with stuff like that, taken to the state attorney's office for questioning and apparently apparently threatened with 30 years in prison by the detective in charge and the state attorney. Well, now I got, if that's true, oh, they do this crap all the time, you know. Hey, I'm going to take you and hang you from the highest oak limb if you don't do this and do that. They'll do this all the time. And don't ever go in that place without a liar. Don't, as a citizen, go in a state attorney's office without a liar. In fact, send a liar. You don't have to go. But this 23-year-old obviously thought, oh, geez, and went down there. Here is a real interesting component that I don't have an answer to has to do with the school board. Now, listen to these questions carefully. After Colliers won a contract with the school board to provide real estate services, in July of 2019, this was four months after Drotus and Riles terminated with Bossart. After Colliers won the contract through a public request for a proposal submittal, one in which Bossart also, he also submitted, did social media posts originating from persons affiliated with Bossart claim that Collier's committed fraud against the school board on a purchase of a future school site? There's something going on with that school site. Because after election of school board member Dion McGraw, and the employment of school board staff and the superintendent, the land purchase was terminated. McGraw is more than meets the eye, I have concluded. I can't tell you how, but McGraw is much more than just somebody, I think, seeking a school board seat. Now, here's what happened. The school board's tangled up in this. After the fraudulent election, that's what McGraw's election in these questions is referred to as. After the fraudulent election, why did the school board lease office space without using Collier's brokerage services, even though this violated their agreement with Collier's? And particularly in light of the fact that the commission would have been paid to Collier's 
by the lessor, not the school board. And this has resulted in the school board now being liable for the payment of approximately $100,000 in commissions to Colliers. And this is all payment with taxpayer funds. So the question is, why would the school board risk public funds to attempt to stop Colliers from receiving the compensation due to them? I don't know. These are great questions. And I'm honored that the Ward Scott Files has been chosen by to get these out to the public because maybe somebody out there, you all know the answers. Why has the school board not paid the commission due to Colliers? Claiming that they first needed to consult with the Gainesville Police Department and state attorney after receiving a demand letter from Colliers. I don't know. Why did a school board member state that Colliers is being investigated for defrauding the government? I wonder if you can guess who that school board member would be. Why did a search query of subpoenaed school board emails for the word Bossart return internal school board emails regarding their refusal to pay Colliers when those emails did not contain the word Bossart and either the visible recipients or bodies of the emails? Well, you can, you can tell why. There was a blind copy to Bossart. Why is Bossart getting blind copies? Why is Bossart getting blind copies? Now, these questions will be in the show's tape, of course. You may go back and listen to the Ward Scott files of August the 9th and hear the questions. I don't think I'm going to post them just yet. I think they're real good questions. We might. We might end up posting them in Ward's hot bulletin board. But right now we'll see what we get as a reply from this. Um. And, well, of course, the show is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube and uh, a couple other places. I don't, I'm not. Wordscottfiles.com. And you can walk by Alexa and have her play it anytime you want. But there are 24 questions. And as we say in the old movies, the plot thickens. The plot thickens. The last thing I'll report on to you is we are chipping away at justice, if you will. And the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and the fraudulent voting by the inmates at the Alachua County Jail. I'm always amused when I see somebody say there was no election fraud. I saw some pollster pundit out on Twitter the other day. Always has a cute comment. Challenging people to demonstrate convincingly that there's such a thing as election fraud in the presidential election. Hey, it's, it's so easy to do that. Don't even ask us to do it. 
What's not easy is to get somebody to do something about it. And that's going to be the case here as well, I've, I suspect, with Drotus and Balsart. They still don't have their stuff back. If you drag it out long enough, things go away. Justice delayed is justice denied. So we're dragging out Drotus versus Balsart. We're dragging out voter fraud in the Lancho County Jail, which we've got slam dunk proof of. And by the way, we get more and more ev evidence. The longer they wait, the more we get to look and the more we find. We've got the COVID thing, which I think is just going to If we don't get corner turned, tear the country up, and the way it will happen is Biden will print money and give everybody a check, and we'll just become even more worthless than we were already. So keep your eye on all the things going on. Appreciate you watching the Ward Scott Files, Professor. Warthog here in the Warthog Man Cave in the Melvin Law Studio. I want to thank production for being with us through this. And uh, uh, we're going to be at the opening of the Steve Sprague Red Island Grill tomorrow. And uh, we'll keep you appraised of what all is going there. And uh, take these questions and see if you can find somebody who's got some answers. Uh, you'll be on the cutting edge of the truth if you can do that. It'll be quite something. And uh, uh, so far, it seems to me that there's a lot of obscurity and, you know, hiding out here on these things. And as Plantation Mark says, it sounds like a conspiracy at the highest level. Well, we're out here working on the farm. We're out here uh, with two tractors going, Plantation Mark, a lot of mowing, uh, fence lines. Uh, uh, you know, we will be uh, Tim Martin. Uh, we will not be, to my knowledge yet, that's being worked out, Tim. So we'll let you know. Uh, have a great day. Warhol Command Center out.